SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Shortest day of the year. Now, what does that even mean? Jack 21. But every day is 24 hours in a day. Yeah. But they say that because the sun sets at the earliest yeah. December 21st. Longest day of the year is what? June 20th, I think. Ish. Or ish. ish. Depends on Equinox, yeah, yeah, which is a gym. Yeah. But I mention that because starting tomorrow, we're on the other side. Yeah. So you actually can start to see the finish yeah, line. You have something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, you hope so. Right. But you know what I'm looking forward to? Today's market call because it is one o'clock on the East Coast. Me and Dan today, just the two of us, I think it was Grover Alexander and Bill Withers. Saying that song, yeah, is that right? Just the two of yeah. us, not not no, your jam. No, it is my jam. And you know what? It's sad about a Thursday market call that doesn't have well, EY from SoFi yeah. and doesn't have. If it's not margarine, it's butters. It's butters. And I know people are upset about that. Listen, EY is on a much. This she deserves it. She needs a break. She's on a break. What's and it? butters is probably just being butter somewhere. Butters is being He's probably watching right now. He's in Wisconsin. I, or no, I guarantee you, butters is on the most epic staycation you can imagine. You think so? Yeah, I do. I, and he's getting charged up for next year because we got, be. we got a lot to do uh, in the market. We got a lot to do today. And we have to be out on the screws. No, we got to be on the screws like today. To so let's do this quick. Let's yeah. take a look at the rundown because this is sort of interesting. Yeah. Sectors to watch in 2024. I'm all with you on that one. I mean, we got to look forward because, as I said, late in the year. We got to look forward. We got to get a little granular on the sector front because I think that, guy, we've done a nice job. We've done a bad job on some things, sure. right? But we've done a nice job sector to sector. And identifying sector rotations, I think, is going to become increasingly important. Agreed. And, and you know, year. we'll look at some ETFs, perhaps. Yeah. Sort of, you know, why not? Let's sort of. Russell stock at a prior resistance. We talked about this over the last couple of days. Lizanne Saunders. Yep who came on our podcast, the On The Tape podcast a few weeks ago, she put out a tweet, and it's funny. Her chart and exact, all the things that we've been talking about, how we're pushed up against that resistance level, we'll take a look at that. Yep. And then Micron reported, yep. wasn't a great quarter, but a lot of people are thinking, okay, that was your trough quarter. By the way, that comes off a pre-announcement, I think, on November yeah. 28th. Yep. So they were slightly better than that pre-announcement. I think the day of the pre-announcement, the stock was trading 76, and here we are today. Anyway. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. Um, 
you know, listen, you got a lot of energy in, into the, always, into the I'm, shortest I'm always, day of the I'm year. Always you know what I mean? Uh, it's, I guess it's the shortest day of sunshine. I guess that's the, that's what we're really focused on here, Guy. Um, let's think about some of these sectors. Let's think about them through the lens of some of these sector ETFs. Um, we just want to kind of pull them up and, and kind of sort them by year to date. This is um, a, a, a fact set sort of screen that we like to look at mm -hmm. here. And obviously, you see what's going on there. The XLK, the XLC, those are some of the largest tech um, and platform companies. And you see that they're both up more than 50% on the year. Consumer discretionary, we know what goes into the XLY. Two of the largest components are Amazon um, and Tesla. We know that those have had monster years. This is where it starts to get a little more interesting yeah. to me, Guy, and maybe you and I can break out a couple of these sectors that we're thinking about might be opportunities both long and short in the new year, depending upon you know how the economy kind of works its way through Q1. What are some of the expectations? Where are rates? Where are the dollar? All that sorts of things. But industrials, you know, underperforming the S&P 500, They've come a long way in a very short period of time, right? These material stocks, mm -hmm. you know, some M&A going on there, kind of interesting. The XLF, we like the XLF. We're bummed. We're kind of bummed that Berkshire Hathaway makes up such a big part yeah. of that. So we've we said a number of times. It's, it's not a, I don't love the construct of it, yeah. but it's something we should look at. And we are. Yeah. So let's start with these bottom four um, sectors, okay? The ones that are down on the year yeah. year to date, and and what what comes what what strikes you? So we have the healthcare select, we have the XLE, which you and I talk a lot about because what forty percent of that is Exxon mm -hmm. um, and Chevron. Staples and utilities also really interesting. They've had big rallies off the lows, right? So they were at their lows when yields were at their highs, right. but they're not acting so great right now, even with yields down. Guys. No, because it's fun. It, it's fun you say that because that's what sticks out so yeah. obviously as you mentioned the underperformance of utilities as 10-year yields were going to five percent yep. made perfect sense yep. on the way back below four percent one would think okay these are going to play meaningful catch-up but what i think is happening here is people are saying why do i want to be in utilities when i can be in these high-flying technology yep. names and these growth names there's no particular there's no compelling reason and i think if I think what's going to wind up happening is if we see a sell-off in the broader market, the way we saw yesterday and the way we potentially see in 20, utilities will become back in vogue. So you look at that down, what is it, 12% or so? Yeah. That's one sticks out like a sore thumb. The other one that I want, and we'll talk about energy. Well, but let's let's pull up the chart really pull quickly. Pull it up. I actually thought this was really interesting. I drew a couple lines on this one, and you can see on the XLP, um, it just kind of broke below some support that it had kind of been forming here a little bit. I think we have that um, in our notes in the in the uh, utility select uh, XLP ETF. If these guys want to pull it up here, you know, a series of well, the XLU. Lower Oh, XLU. I'm sorry, sorry about that. Oh, my goodness. No, no, that's okay. The the XLU is what we want to look at, and there it is now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there's that big spike, obviously, to the trend line, but now it's underperformed since. So you have this downtrend, and I think the lines are exactly right. You see where the moving average comes in. You can probably draw an uptrend from October that's been broken, yeah. and now the question you have to ask yourself, where is the entry point? Where is there going to be support here? So the lines all make sense. The downtrend... We've broken support the theoretically. 
Does the moving average come into play or is there more pain on the downside right, here? Let's take another look. I definitely um, you know, should have drawn that uptrend that had been there from the lows in October. Again, that corresponds when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was touching at 5%. And the way it spiked, Guy, just on this last little push in the mm-hmm. last week and a half, back to that downtrend. Why do we spend so much time in the technicals? They kind of work here, people. Back below that 200-day moving average, now below two levels, right? The breakdown level from the summer, September, and now below that uptrend that had been in place. I don't know how you don't press this one, though, Guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you think about it from a technical standpoint and the fact that it should be trading better in the light of right. yields coming in. So let me ask you this. If yields and you think they could start working higher in the new year, might the XLU like be ready for a little bit of a, a, a right. retest so let's, of some of those lower levels? Let's play that. Let's play it out, right? So I think if, if you believe the XLU is going to continue to get bludgeoned here, yep. I, I think almost by definition, you have to be somewhat bullish for these high flying, high, you know, these high valuation, high growth names, specifically the NASDAQ. So I look at this as sort of a counter NASDAQ, but I understand what you're saying. By the way, this can underperform with the broader market as well. The broader market could sell off, this could sell off as well. So I guess what I'm saying is I do think there's going to be a meaningful sell off in the NASDAQ. And I think what's going to wind up happening is there'll be a flight to somewhat perceived quality in the form of utilities. We'll see. But that's what makes trading so interesting. So this is, this is so I'm looking at January expiration, mm-hmm. and and again, so the first trading day of the year is January second. Uh, expiration is January nineteenth on the close. I'm looking at the sixty two strike put in the XLU guy. It's offered at about one oh nine, right? So let's call it one ten. So if you were to buy that on the sixty two strike, you would need to move down to sixty ninety just to break even. So that's down, um, you know, about. 2% or so. Here's the um, options chain right there. And you'd say, well, 2% in, in a ETF like this, that's a lot. You know what I mean? But not really the way rates have been moving, the way that we saw the equity market move yesterday afternoon. And, and mm-hmm. not so. Uh, so uh, again, I think there's interesting ways to kind of play some of this. To me, that looks kind of cheap in both dollar terms and vol terms. Makes sense to me. I'm trying to find you know the ultimate levels of support here. So if you're right, you know, 56 sort of sticks out to me a little yeah. bit. And you say, where's 56 come from? Well, we actually, I think we were down there in where I'm, I'm yeah, trying yeah, to look like in, October. in October. Yeah, yeah. So that's not a unreasonable level. So, you know, the playing out the way you're looking at vis-a-vis options yeah. might make a lot of sense here. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, what's happening here? Like, what is, is it rates going back up in a meaningful way? Like, what's going to happen here to knock this thing down? Is it the broader market? So, this is interesting just to look at because you can look at it 10 different ways and come up with 10 different answers. But I think the trade, you know, you might be onto something here for sure. All right. You wanted to look at the XLV. This is not, this is the healthcare select. And this yep. is not a sector that we've spent a lot of time this year, but it went from 52 week lows. You can see that mm-hmm. right in the chart, right to that technical resistance level where it's been a few times over the last, um, you know, 52 weeks or so. Guy, the largest holdings here, this is UNH is about nine and a half percent. Eli Lilly, which has had a monster year, is about 9%. Johnson & Johnson, that comes out. What does it come out? Uh, J&J. J&J is about 7.5%. Abby, Merck. Okay, so you see what's going on here. There's like you know a diverse group of names. It's not always uh, only just big pharma and intuitive surgicals in there. Danaher, so you have some device makers. You have big pharma. You have some things that maybe look a little bit like um, you know healthcare providers and the like and pharmacies. What's what? How do you get this thing to break out? What, what, what has to happen in the broad market? 
market um, for the XLV to establish a new range. And I think we have a five-year chart too. Of the XLV. Yeah, well, let's put up that. So you see, listen, it's going to be those four names, right? And you throw Mark in there as well. So what's going to happen for it to break out? Well, if you look, if we look at a chart since, let's call it 2019, 2018, for the last three, three and a half, four years, if we go even longer term than that in real time, We've been banging up against this sort of 135 to 140 level a number of times. Now, there have been two sell-offs. We saw one, I want to say, in September of 2022. And again, we saw one in October Mm -hmm. that took us down to support. But it keeps sort of levitating back. So I think what you're looking at is potential M&A in the space or just a reacceleration of a healthcare trade that did extraordinarily well over a very long period of time until it sort of flattened out over the last, effectively, Dan, almost two years. Yeah. So I think I look at this and say, we're consolidating here for the next leg higher. Other people would say, you know what? We're creating a bit of a top here. And if we start to roll over, it's going to be a meaningful top that holds in for quite some time. Yeah. So we gave some of the weightings, right? So UNH <laughs> is the top holding. And, you know, it's interesting that UNH just got back to, and maybe they can pull up one here. It doesn't look that different, right? Than no, the it's going to look very similar. But look at how look at how hard this thing, let's look, look at a one year here. So it was making new 52-week highs, right? This was just um, a few weeks ago. And now it's down, what, 6.5% or so. So you're going to need Lily. Uh, oh, maybe they can pull up Lily too. You know, Lily's down like 9%. Yeah. It's it's grinding a little bit. And this was which we, Which story. we have seen before if you look at eli Lilly, which we're about to do over the last maybe call it two years a stock that had recently just made an all-time high over the course of that time you have seen a number of drawdowns in the name a meaningful drawdowns in the name that each time over the course of a couple weeks that they've lasted has been buyers have found it now other people look at this chart and say, well, you know what, guy, there's this gap in the name. Mm-hmm. You got to be very careful here. And I understand that. And, you know, maybe it's some sort of tape bomb, as we call it, in terms of Ozempic or some of the GLP ones. Yeah. I don't know. But I will tell you that until proven otherwise, Eli Lilly is a stock you want to stay with, I believe. All right. So you're inclined to continue to play the XLV mm-hmm. for an upside breakout. Now, one of the things I just say when we were looking at the XLU, I was looking at the options. If you're playing, looking for to play for a shorter term move, you don't really want to be long in an ETF, right, where they don't have the idiosyncratic risk of one name. The idea of just owning premium, waiting for a breakout, that's a dead bang mm-hmm. way to lose money, you know, in trading the options. So XLV could just be one of those things, guy, that you just kind of add on dips a little bit as far as the ETF is concerned. And then when you think there's some sort of inflection point, maybe it's a couple of the big names are about to report earnings as we get into late January. Maybe that's when you think about what a call or a call spread looks like. It, the the I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. You can bleed away in terms of owning if you own Vol, basically you own these options each day, passing day, you sort of bleed a little bit away. This, if I look at it, 125 to me is the line in the sand. Through 125, and we're having a much different conversation. Through 125 probably means that something happened in UNH, which we've seen before, mm-hmm. or you got the tape bomb in Eli Lilly, which we haven't seen, but a lot of people think just it's a matter of time. So I'm inclined to stay with this. I think it breaks out, but through 125, I'm pulling the ripcord on this one, Dan. All right, let's look at the XLE quickly. I know we've been hitting on this one a, a lot over the last few uh, weeks or so because definitely with the weakness in crude, this is kind of interesting. And also, you know, charts are like, you know, this is a game of kind of uh, measurements too, right? So mm-hmm. on a one-year basis, you'd say, okay, well, it's bottom left, upper right. You see that resistance that is kind of banged up against over the last, you know, uh, year or so and a handful of occasions here. The one thing that 
that I, I think is kind of interesting here, guys, that if you were to back this out on a, on a five-year basis, you know, it's actually a steeper uptrend. Yep. And it's actually this grinding that we've seen over the last couple months or so in around this 200-day moving average actually shows a breakdown of that uptrend. So again, that's just a technical input. You have a whole host of fundamental reasons why you like these names, why you're actually not so put off by the pullback because the pullback started when the two largest holdings, again, yeah. that make up 40%, made what? A combined $120 billion yeah. of intended acquisitions. And therefore, you know, a lot of investors saying they're going to be stuck if they want to just draw a line. You can see from that low um, at the end of 2020 or so, um, you know, you can see that we've broken that uptrend yeah. a little bit. Now I do from the other one. Yeah. However you want to do it, but. But you um, can see the line. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, effectively yeah. it. So, yeah. And so I'm glad you brought that up. So it's interesting that I think it was this time, or it was October of last year, don't at me if I'm wrong, but Chevron announced a $75 billion with a B dollar stock buyback. And I remember being on Fast Money, and I remember there, the administration was apoplectic, and a lot of people, you know, they're printing money, handed, they're raping the American people, and now they're buying back stock, blah, blah, blah. We had that conversation. Yeah. I only mention it, not about the politics of it, but if you go back and look, that was the ball's high of the stock, yeah. which is interesting. And then obviously they all sold off in unison. A similar type of announcement in the form this time of M&A came out, which also put in the short-term top of these names. But it doesn't mean that the fundamentals are not still in place. For whatever reason, both those instances proved to be inflection points, but the underlying fundamentals are still in place. And I'm hard-pressed, again, to understand how we can have a meaningful sell-off in this space on the backdrop of continued M&A, balance sheets that are pristine, they're operating better, valuations that are reasonable, and then you throw in the wild card of Warren Buffett now owning 27% of an energy company in the form of Occidental Petroleum. Now, I might be wrong. I mean, this yeah. thing might cascade lower. You know, Maybe it's a global growth scale or something, or China continues to deteriorate. But I'm going to stay bullish in the space for the foreseeable future. Yeah, the thing with Oxy guy and you bring, bring up hasn't moved. No, it hasn't yeah. moved. And the other point is, is like it, it's actually like been a bit of an underperformer. I, I just feel like, um, you know, he he. I want to say it was like like maybe five, eight years ago or something. He got really long Exxon. No, he's made really mistakes. No, he's absolutely I, I made know. mistakes. I'm not. Listen, I'm. I'm he's not infallible, but again, yeah. he's obviously he's seeing something in the space that. You can I wonder, with is, he, is he seeing something in the space or something specific to this name? In, well, it's clearly specific to, to the name, yeah. but I think specific to the name, I think you have to have some, you have to have some sort of a belief in the space as well. But, but listen, yeah. I get it. I totally get it. No, I get it. Um, okay. Let's look at financials here. This is one that again, you know, um, banks in particular, um, let's look at the BKX, which, you know, again, we, we love the, ET, uh, the XLF ETF, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's obviously very heavily weighted towards us large money centers and investment banks. But when you look at the XLF and you look at Berkshire as the largest holding, it kind of just, it's, it's, that's not a bank. It, you know, it, it kind of skews the whole thing, um, a little bit. Yeah. There you you, go, you see it's like 12 and a half percent or so and then the next largest holding is jp morgan and then you throw visa and mastercard and then you can start yeah, to have a conversation yeah. like are these really fun you know they're in that universe but you know it's not specific to the sort of the names that we seemingly yeah. talk about on a day but anyway please yeah. continue well let's pull up the bkx here which is a little bit different yeah and, and, and it's a much different story in terms of the stock performance too yeah so this is the the uh, kbw bank index here and when you look at the holdings of this one here you know jp morgan is the largest holding it's pnc it's what you know so there's a bunch of names it's more equally weighted than like all right 
Look at that breakout right there. Okay. So this thing had been wallowing right in that range. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, below, um, you, you can see it there on the chart. It's about 90 bucks um, or so. How this re recent breakout as yields have come in, as expectations for a soft landing have kind of w made their way, at least through investor sentiment, you think that the banks will do better, especially after such a, you know, a turbulent year um, in 2023. So guys, as we head into the year, let, let's assume that we're going to have, um, you know, yields somewhere. It, does it make sense between three and a half and four and a half percent in the 10 year probably. for the better part of the first half? I mean, but, year. you know, I'll say that probably understanding that everything that's happened over the last six months, I had no way, shape or form anticipated. But yeah. to answer your question, I mean, theoretically, theoretically, the volatility in the bond market should be somewhat be mitigated by everything we've heard. Anyway, yeah. you're right. So, so epic double bottom there. Huge. Okay, so now let's pull it out. We have a five-year chart here. Okay, so we are right at that breakdown level from early this year when no one knew what was happening happening with the banking sector, right? Rates were really volatile. The Fed um, came in and did some extraordinary measures, backing deposits and the like here. And, you know, it's interesting about the, the, the bank deposit, um, you know, like back up there that they that they made, you would have thought the banks would have acted better, you know what I mean, right off the bat there, you know, and yeah, we had a few go under. So when you look at this thing, it's come a long way in a very short period of time from 70, basically to 95 this is the K KBW. It's, it's above that uh, downtrend that's been in place, but mm -hmm. it's also right there at that technical. Exactly. So that's, ex that's the point that I'm so we've basically recaptured half of that precipitous drop that we mm -hmm. saw earlier this year. And that makes sense, I guess. But guess what else is going on here? And if you go to the other chart we looked at prior, you still have a moving average, by the way, that is not flattening. I mean, you can say maybe it's flattening out a bit here, but yeah. it's still been basically upper left, lower right to a certain degree. If this, and Sheila Bear was on Fast Money, I think last week, mm -hmm. there's still a lot of people, a lot smarter than I am, that think there is another shoe to drop here in this space. Mm -hmm. I am one of those people, by the way. Now, the stocks have suggested otherwise, and in the absence of bad news, these things are going to levitate just on valuation alone. But you get some hint of something again in the banking system, and you see how quickly the, the, the floor can drop out. So I look at this and say, if you've been long them, you sell them. And if you want to play through the options, I think there's an opportunity to own it on negative trade, like a put, some sort of put spread or something. Yeah, no, I, I think that actually makes um, some sense. And it might be interesting to see how it plays at that kind of like prior resistance that's now support. Let's see if it can kind of test that a little bit. And then I want to look at the regionals guy, because obviously this was the epicenter of the mm -hmm. crisis that we had back there um, in March. And, you know, again, doesn't look too different here. So we've gotten above that breakout level of $50, um, you know, and that was, again, the high-ish over the course of the summer. It was also a meaningful breakdown level after a precipitous drop, right, that we saw in the lead up to that. Um, on a five-year basis, this one doesn't look that different than what no, we it's just very looked at in the KBW, but it's also approaching that really key um, breakout level below the downtrend. If we didn't, I didn't even draw the downtrend from the 52-week highs, but it's still below that. So on a relative basis to me, this one feels a little weaker and that makes sense. It feels a little weaker. I look at this and say, this is very similar to what we just looked at, but it's the same type of setup here. You know, you think about bank credit contracting at levels we haven't seen in probably decades, if not historically, in terms of banks. If you think, again, you have to believe some of the things that I believe. The contraction of credit is not a belief. It's it's out there. It's factually true. 
But the other sort of wild card in this, you have to think that unemployment is going to spike early next year. So those two things together, there's no way, in my opinion, that this index can do well under that backdrop. Mm -hmm. So I think you've been given a gift here to the upside. And if you think if, if you think what I think is going to happen in 2024, there's no compelling reason to be long, if not outright short these things. Yeah. Um, I also think that it, it, this is probably a good segue to the Russell 2000, to the small caps. I want to look at it through the, the eyes of the IWM, right? The ETF that tracks it. It's like you think there's a lot of smaller fi financially oriented names in there, right? So they're more economically sensitive. Mm -hmm. They're more sensitive to that one point that you just made about credit contraction, right? So it's not just about consumers, but it's also access to capital for small businesses. We know small businesses, this is me threading the needle here a little bit, guy, uh, make up two thirds of the employment right. here in the U.S. Right. So if you believe that we're going to see unemployment above 4% at some point next year um, with a weakening economy, the Russell 2000 is probably vulnerable. Look at how many times over the last year it's gotten up towards this level here. I think it's about $200. 204 ish, but yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, not been able to kind of get through. And I just want to kind of make one point here. It's really interesting. So if I was looking at January expiration, all right, and I'm looking at the options in the IWM, the at the money straddle, okay, is implying um, about a 5% move between now and January 19th. Okay, so that's um, one month from now for all intents and purposes. Yes, we're going to have a couple holidays, short weeks in there. And then if I look at the SPY, right, the ETF that tracks the S&P 500, a little less than 3% implied move between now. Okay, so that makes sense. These names um, are a bit more volatile over all that's the Russell 2000. But you know, if you were looking to play for a directional, um, a breakout or a, a pullback, you know, you basically, if you were to buy the at the money, the 198 put, it would cost you basically two and a half percent for a month to kind of rent that position and you have a break even down two and a half percent. The same way goes for um, if you were looking to play for a breakout. Thoughts on that relative to the expected movement in the SPY guy? It makes here. so everything you outlined, it's funny, Liz Ann Saunders, we mentioned, she put out on her Twitter account this exact same chart illustrating and highlighting the same things we're talking about, but your your assessment is right. When you think about this being the most economically sensitive sector out there, small business, small medium-sized business employs two-thirds of the people in this country, all of them reliant on credit. Credit is contracting, unemployment rate probably going higher. How you bullish this sector? Like, What is the thesis to continue to be long? The Russell, other than the fact that you can point to valuation and say, on a relative basis, they're still cheap. They're cheap for a reason. So I think your outline of this is exactly right. Yeah. And and obviously yields come into play here too, right? Uh, yeah. So let's, no, look at, let's look at the Look, tenure. yields are working in their favor right now. Right now, yeah. So, yeah. So let, let's look at the 10-year yield. And um, so this is one that obviously, you know, I, I think that's a bad print that we're seeing right up against that um, that downtrend. But to, I think we got as low as 383, mm -hmm. right? So we hadn't been there, guys, since kind of late July. What's interesting about late July when we were back at 383 or 385 or whatever is that the S&P, you know, was right up very near a 52-week high, right? It had just come off a little bit. And that was, you know, um, I want to say if we're looking at, let's pull up a SPY chart really quickly. We have one there. You know, I think the high was 460 in the SPY, 4,600 in the in the cash. And uh, yeah, so here we are. And, and now we're kind of back up towards those levels here. And we have yields much lower than where they were a month and a half ago. Um, but I don't know, th thoughts here because, 
because we'd already come off that high a little bit. And how important are yield to continue to be suppressed or go lower for the S&P to meaningfully break out, make a new high? And maybe they have a five-year chart here. Um, well, that gets us back to yeah, that. No, kinda, it's yeah, what you, that's, that, that, yeah, that's that effectively what you that's need to look at. Right there. So if you look at this, what we didn't mention, and but we mentioned yesterday, so relative strength index is the RSI at levels we haven't seen in terms of overbought in quite some time. On top of which, you're at this level that we haven't seen in the S&P in quite some time. On top of which, the fear greed index is at levels to the greed side of things that we haven't seen in quite some time. So you add all those things up, and then you add in the fact, as Carter's pointed out, that all gaps to the upside have been filled. And the only thing remaining now are gaps in the S&P to the downside. And on top of which, you know, you're getting towards standard deviations away from the moving average. There's so many things when I look at this to be concerned about. And then yesterday you saw how quickly the market can unravel. So I think you got a snapshot, a glimpse as to what potentially could continue to happen. I'm hard pressed to believe yesterday was a one day event. Yeah. So, and I just want to make one more point. So if the 4,600 was the prior high in July, right? And so the last time the 10 year yield was there, okay. Or where it is right now, we're basically four and a half, five percent higher than that. We're very near the prior highs. You can see that from that prior point in January, 2022. What's happened here is that EPS estimates have actually softened a little bit for next year. So that means you're just seeing multiple expansions. That's all it is like right here. So on lower rates, which makes sense because rates are a big input to yeah. that, but it's just multiple expansion. But I only bring up the point is that the S&P earnings estimates in late July were probably a little higher than where they are now. So now they're lower. Yields are at the same spot. Okay. So again, this is the thing I think in, in January, as we get into Q4 earnings season, a lot of investors are going to have to get a sense. They're going to have to sharpen their pencils and see how close to that. I think FactSet has 11-ish percent year over year expected EPS growth with the S&P 500 in 2024. What is the likelihood of that? And then what do you want to pay for that in what I think is going to be an increasingly volatile economic environment? A 20% likelihood at best. I mean, again, yeah. given everything we've talked about, I mean, you're going to start to see margin contraction for a lot of these companies. If you listen to, again, all of this is anecdotal, but General Mills is the last one to talk about a slowdown and what some of the concerns that they have. And we mentioned that earlier on our Instagram account, something we were both watching earlier this yeah. week was a commentary out of General Mills. So follow us on the gram as well. But I just don't, the math doesn't work to be supportive there's no way we're going to see double di low double digit earnings growth under this backdrop. I, I don't, don't see yeah. it happening. I'm with you. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, guy, let's look at Micron. You mentioned that the stock, um, the company had pre-announced um, November revenues. 28th, yeah. I think. And so the fact that you see a, a, a gap, this is what seven ish or so percent new 52 week highs. Um, and you know, on, on a better outlook, I think for 2024, we talked about this earlier in the week in, in market call that some of the end markets like PCs and uh, smartphones, some of the commentary we're hearing um, was that, you know, they're bottoming. You were hearing that, mm -hmm. right? You heard it out of Taiwan semi, you heard it out um, a couple other OEMs and the like here, some of the other semiconductors, um, you know, pretty constructive chart there. It spent a lot of this year consolidating. We know it's a cheap stock. We also know it's a volatile pricing environment for DRAM for, for memory, but we also know that, you know, they're going to benefit from increased interest in um, data center, right. right? Like, so in and around tra 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 training of these large language models and the like here and generative AI stuff. So again, I, you know, I'm not chasing, I'm not chasing anything here, guy. I looked at Micron and it's interesting because I said they pre-announced. I think the stock 
the day of the pre-announcement was 76 and a half. You can go back and look. And so you see where we are now. They basically, yesterday's quarter was slightly better than that pre-announcement. Okay. So what the market is saying right now is this was a trough quarter and that things are going to start to reaccelerate. So you have to believe sort of the worst is over and there's going to be this reacceleration in the space. What I have learned the hard way in terms of Micron is regardless of what you think the environment is, this is a highly cyclical highly commoditized company. Nothing has effectively changed. This move is on the hopium, I think, of them being at the forefront of this generative AI phenomenon that's out there. And if you believe that, it's probably a really cheap stock. If you don't believe it's trough, then you're getting an opportunity to sell something here that's probably still pretty expensive. Yeah, and I would say rather than forefront, it's almost just like uh, all, all, all rising tides lifts yeah, all well, boats. Yeah, how's that? How's that? You, don't, you know what I'm saying? Better. Like, because again, you know, like memory is going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of that. But as soon as we see a slowdown in the development of these data centers, um, you might see a precipitous drop off in demand for DRAM as it relates to data centers. Um, all right, guy, before we get out of here, let's do a little housekeeping because we're going into um, the holiday shortened week next week, right? So tomorrow we have the On the Tape podcast that's going to drop with Danny Moses, Guy, right here, and myself. We're going to think about uh, some of the stuff that went on this year and some of the things that um, we're looking forward to in 2024. Um, on Tuesday, we have a very special drop of the On The Tape podcast. We have Mike Novogratz. He is the CEO of Galaxy, which is a digital uh, currency. Um, you know, I mean, they're an investment bank. I mean, they're doing Legend. a whole stuff. Yeah, and, and we, we spent a ton of time, actually most of the time on macro. Mm -hmm. um, and he's a legendary market uh, macro guy. Um, that's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Deirdre Bosa and I are going to have a drop of OK Computer, some of the biggest themes in tech that we saw this year and what we're expecting for next year. And then on Thursday, guy, that's when we're back with the market call. Man, oh man. It's gonna be me, you, Carter Braxton Worth. And we're gonna, it's gonna be a Charterpalooza, a year-end Charterpalooza. Yeah. That's gonna be Thursday, one o'clock. So you're gonna want to check that out. And then lastly on Friday, guy, Danny, myself on the tape podcast. We got, we'll drop in your favorite podcast. And, store. and then just just drop the mic. Okay. It's been that's a heck it. Of a it's year. the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. Which is a like that. And we'll do it all again next year. Um, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, the Yankees fun. still haven't signed uh, the Japanese pitcher. I think that's just a matter of time. Yep. And I'll say this. Tommy DeVito and yeah, this whole, it's, it's embarrassing. It. The it, whole thing is embarrassing. And as a Giants fan, and you stick with your team, even when it's not doing uh, It's my team, well. but I think, yeah. you know, he's he overplayed this hand that was dealt to him in such a way that I think it's going to snap. It's going to boomerang against him. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. I'm not a hater. I'm just pointing it out. All right. You're not, you're not interested. No, I just, listen, I, I think it was nice that he won three games in a row, but he seemed like a bit of a goofball while he was doing it. You know what I mean? So that's it. Okay. I've enjoyed this. Thank you for joining us. Today's market call. Stans EY from SoFi. Stans Butters. Well-deserved break. But we'll be back next week, as Dan pointed out. So check out the schedule. Check us out on the gram and check out our YouTube channel and smash the oh, shit out of the like button. On. Yeah, so that's Rich Russell Media. Um, that is on the – we had a really nice growth in that. We got lots yeah. of viewers on that thing, so thanks a lot We got for exciting that. stuff happening in 24. Oh, yeah, look. And then you can follow us. There's all of our socials. Guy, you're Guy.Adami on the Instagram. I am Dan's, Dan S. Nathan um, on the Instagram. We're putting a lot of new content out on there, so check that out. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Later, peeps. Thank you